have a Bible, can I encourage you to turn to Hebrews 7, and we're beginning at verse 26. And we're looking at this passage tonight under the title, Out of the Shadows. Now, Hebrews is not an easy book, and I want to pay a compliment to my colleagues who have been carrying the, the heavy load of going through this book over these past months. In understanding, though, any passage in Hebrews, it's often good to go back to consider what is the purpose of the letter. That really helps us to see what's going on. I believe that Hebrews was written to encourage particularly believers from a Jewish background to keep going on and not to give up in the face of growing opposition. It's very possible that Hebrews was written during the middle of the reign of Nero. And at this stage, Christians were not being put to death for their faith, but some of them were losing their properties, they were, houses were being attacked, and they were facing certainly forms of persecution. And the temptation for Jewish believers was to go back to their Judaism. Because Judaism was a legal religion under the Romans. Christianity was not. And if they went back to the synagogue and they renounced Jesus, then things would be a lot easier for them and for their families. And I believe that's what the temptation was and why this letter to the Hebrews was written. Now, how is he going to respond to the temptation of these Jewish believers to go back to Judaism and to abandon Christianity? Well, I think his response is mainly is to, to teach how much greater is Christ and his ministry than what the ministry they would receive from their Old Testament priesthood and religion. The Old Testament priests and their ministry were just shadows of the Christ who was to come. In Jesus, the reality of religion is found, and that's always true. True religion, the reality of true religion, can only be found in this person of Jesus. Jesus and his ministry were not just a better religion than the Judaism. Jesus and his ministry were the one true and perfect religion. So, as we think of Jesus and the Christianity that comes with Jesus, the first thing we're going to consider here from this passage is perfect character. As we think of Jesus, the great high priest. It says there in verse 28 that the Old Testament priests were appointed in their weakness. This priesthood was weak because these men were just ordinary men, fallen and sinful in their characters. And if you think ministers today are anything special, you don't understand us. We are weak and sinful people likewise. So the great weakness of the, the priest in the Old Testament was it was done by sinners. But Jesus, on the other hand, was a priest who was perfect. And he was appointed as, 
as God's son. He was appointed in the power of God's oath. It speaks there at the end of verse 28 of how the other priests were appointed in weakness. Jesus was appointed according to an oath. And back in chapter 7, this oath is referred to, first of all in verse 17, and then in verse 21. And both quotes here are taken from Psalm 110. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So the Old Testament priests were appointed in their sinful weakness. Jesus was appointed to this role as God's son through this oath in Psalm 110. Now, in verse 26 here, we learn some things about Jesus' character as to why he was a much greater priest and why he was so special as a priest. Verse 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now let's break that description of Jesus down bit by bit. It speaks of his character. First of all, it says he is holy. Now that's not the ordinary word we normally have for holy in the Bible. It's a word which means he is properly right because of his divine nature. In other words, he's one who is right because of who he is, because of his nature. These other priests, because they were sinful and fallen in their nature, were anything but right. Jesus was right because of who he is. Secondly, it says he is innocent. Literally means he, he wasn't bad. He, he wasn't harmful. He wouldn't hurt people. Thirdly, it says he was unstained. Or he wasn't soiled. He, he wasn't tarnished by the, the world or sin around him. Fourthly, it says he was separated from sinners. This speaks of how he was someone who was naturally opposed to sin. He was someone who, who just recoiled away from sin. Whereas the other priests, because they were sinful by nature, they were automatically attracted to sin. He was this great priest who went away from it. And the final thing mentioned here, he's exalted above the heavens. I think this is referring to Philippians 2, which speaks of how he was humble and he was obedient all the way to the cross and therefore God has highly exalted him. And him being highly exalted speaks of how he is this worthy priest. He has proved to be worthy by his obedience all the way to the cross. Now it says there at the beginning of verse 26, this is the fitting high priest. This is the high priest that is fit for the task. This is the only high priest who is fit and appropriate for us. The only one who is able to bring sinners like us to a holy God. Because God is so high and exalted and pure and spotless, those other priests in their sin they could never do anything to get us to God. They couldn't do anything even to get themselves to God. But this other high priest, Jesus, because of who he is, because of his divine nature, because of his purity, 
he is more than able to do it. He is the only one who is fitting. We need a high priest who is everything that we are not in our sinful nature. We are the very opposite to what it says about Jesus here, aren't we? So often we're, we're holy, we're not right inside. So often we're not innocent, we, we do hurt people. Maybe directly with our words or maybe in our gossip. We are stained people. We are spoiled by the, the world around us and sin within us. We're not separated from sinners. We, we love to engage in sin if we're honest. And we're not certainly exalted of the heavens. We are a people who deserve the very pit of hell itself. And isn't it wonderful that when we think of how we are so fallen and so corrupted by sin, that there is a high priest who is exactly what we need, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, who's now exalted above the heavens. The perfect character. And then secondly, we see here perfect completion in verse 27. It says, he, had, he has no need, like those high priests, that's the Old Testament ones, to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people. So that's what the Old Testament priests did. They offered sacrifices daily for their sin and the people, for the people. But it says here, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. Now, here we have this regularly repeated phrase in the book of Hebrews, a phrase I hope you love. And if you don't love this phrase, I will question if you're a Christian at all. Speaking of Jesus' sacrifice, it says it was once for all. Once for all who would be redeemed. Once for all time. Once never needing to be repeated. The once for all sacrifice of Jesus and offering himself on the cross of Calvary. Now notice a contrast in this verse between Jesus and the Old Testament priests who had this never-ending cycle of offering sacrifices for themselves and then for the people of Israel. They were constantly busy doing it again and again and again and again and again, never stopping. For Jesus did it once for all. Jesus offered himself once for all. And when he cried on the cross, it is finished. And remember, that's a legal term. The transaction is done. I have completed the work. Everything was finished. The price for sin was paid in full, 100%. Never again would a sacrifice for sin have to be made. That's why if you look at chapter 8 and verse 1, it speaks, sir, of Jesus now being seated, not standing, but sitting at the right hand of the majestic throne. It speaks of these other priests. They were standing, constantly offering sacrifice. Jesus offered himself, and then he sits down. Why does he sit down? The job is done. The work of salvation has been completed in paying the price for sin. 
no longer sacrifices for sin have to be made. That is why within our Presbyterian churches, we have a communion table at the front of our churches, not an altar. A communion table is where you remember what Jesus has done. An altar is where you offer ongoing sacrifices. We don't have an altar. The sacrifices are finished. And that's also why when our churches, we are called ministers or or pastor teachers, we're not called priests. Because we do not offer sacrifices for sin. You know, sometimes you, you meet people and then they discover you're a minister, and I'm sure the other, my other colleagues have the same experience, and they start to confess why they haven't been at church for so many years, and so on and so forth. And I says, listen, I'm not a priest. I'm not the one you have to bring this to. I can't forgive you. You have to sort it out with the Lord. So we can't do that. There's one priest, one great high priest, who is seated in heaven having paid the price for sin in full. But I wonder, have you confidence in the sacrifice of Jesus? Are you here tonight really confident that your sin has been paid in full, that your sin has been removed from you? If you genuinely have come to trust in Jesus as your Savior and have repented of your sin to follow him as Lord. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. He says he has cast your sin into the very depth of the sea. And as someone has said, he's put up a wee sign, no fishing. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe tonight that you, if you've come to trust in Jesus, trusting on his shed blood on the cross is the only way to deal your sin, you've come to him, your sin is no more. You're washed of that sin. It will never be brought to your account again. This brings us back to the wonderful truth of justification, being right with God through faith alone. It's the most wonderful of things that in one moment you're a guilty sinner with your sin hanging over your head, deserving hell's punishment. Then that moment when you come to trust in Jesus, trusting in him alone as your only hope, when that happens in an instant, your whole position has changed. You're now declared as righteous. You're declared as one without sin in the sight of God. And it's all because Jesus, the great high priest, has offered himself once for all. And if you are someone who is trusting in Jesus, and you then think, well, if I'm trusting in Jesus, is all my sin taken away? Do you think Jesus failed? This great high priest does not fail. He finishes the job. Who is it? Magnus, Magnuson. I've started, so I've finished. Jesus started in his ministry. The devil threw his worst at him to stop him, to hinder him, 
hold him back, even using Peter to deflect him from going to Jerusalem to die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Nothing was going to stop him from going to be that sacrifice once for all. Perfect completion. Perfect character, perfect completion, and then thirdly, perfect location. Now, the temple at Jerusalem was truly an awesome building. Whether it be the the first temple built by Solomon, and the temple was rebuilt under Haggai, and then King Herod the Great, he expanded it and made it glorious again. It was truly an awesome place. Along with the, the ceremonies there, the sacrifices and the priesthood, it was an amazing spectacle. And in one sense, it's therefore not surprising that Jewish Christians who were finding it hard and facing opposition, in one sense, it wasn't surprising that they would be attracted back to these ceremonies and to this amazing temple. Outward show and splendor are often very attractive for many people and can be very hard to compete with something that has so much outward show and splendor. But the writer to the Hebrews, he's got a problem here. He has to compete with this outward show. He cannot have these Christian people going back to the sacrificial system and trusting in the sacrifice of animals to deal with their sin. So he has to compete with it. How will he help these Christians who are facing opposition to keep on with Christ and not to go back with where they were. So what was his answer? Look at verse 5. He says, and this is speaking of the Old Testament priests, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, that's the tabernacle in the wilderness, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. The answer to helping these people not to go back to Judaism is helping them to understand that the temple in Jerusalem, with all its splendor, was just a shadow of the much greater reality, which is heaven. It's a shadow of the heavenly temple where Jesus dwells and acts as minister. The writer to the Hebrews is wanting his readers by faith to see that Jesus is a high priest who brought his own shed blood, who brought his broken body, not into the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, but presented that shed blood and broken body into the very Holy of Holies of heaven itself. And this is the access that Jesus was wanting to give, not so that people could get into the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. What he was winning is that people would achieve access to the Holy of Holies of heaven itself. All the great ceremony of these Old Testament priests, they're just dealing with a shadow. It's a picture of heaven. 
where Jesus, when he died, he presents himself into the holy of holies of heaven and opens up the way to heaven for his people. And so when he died and the, the temple veil to, was torn in two, it was a, a picture of what Jesus was doing. Not opening the way into the temple in Jerusalem, but opening the way into heaven itself. You see, the crucial thing is not that we have access to a temple or to a church. The crucial thing is that we have access to heaven. And that cannot be done by an Old Testament priest. It cannot be done by any priest of this earth. It can only be achieved by the priest who has come from heaven, who is holy and innocent, who has given himself on the cross of Calvary and has returned to heaven to present himself as that sacrifice for sin. And when we have come to trust in Jesus, our focus is not to be on earthly buildings. This is quite good for us at Brookside with our problems with heating and so forth. Our focus is not to be on earthly buildings. Our focus is to be on the dwelling place of Christ in heaven. Heaven has to be our focus because that is where Jesus is. Paul writing to the Colossians says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is saying, do you not realize because of what Jesus has done, because you've come to trust this Jesus, you are a child not of this world. You're a child of the glory to come in heaven itself. That is where you need to focus. Focus on heaven. Focus on Jesus, the great high priest who's seated at the Father's right hand. Is this your focus? Our focus is not to be in the physical, it's not to be in the outward and the dramatic like the Jewish religion. Our focus has to be in that which we cannot see with the eyes, but what we can only see through faith, Jesus in glory. Chapter 8 and verse 1 says again, now the point is in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. You remember what Mark was saying a few weeks ago about Melchizedek, how he was different in that he was a priest who was a king. Pointing to Jesus. And what the writer of Hebrews says, listen, there in heaven is the priest who has given himself to save you. He is there interceding for you. He is praying for you. But more than that, he is also the king, the priest king, who is ruling over everything for your sake and your behalf. So how do you go on today as we begin the year 2023? How do you be gone, continue as a Christian? How, when you're discouraged, do you not give up? 
How do you keep going on? Look above. Look to Jesus. Look to the great priest king who is there at the Father's right hand, the place of all power and authority. He is seated because his work of salvation is done. But he continues to pray and to rule on your behalf, Christian. You know the sad thing is? If you are here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you've not accepted Jesus as your great priest and savior, this is a Jesus that you're fighting against. This is a Jesus that you can never be sure he will act on your behalf. But that can all change. Because even tonight, you can buy. Embrace this Jesus. Embrace him as your priest, your savior. Trusting in his sacrifice. Embrace him as your king. The ruler over all. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this wonderful book, Lord, and this wonderful truth about Jesus. Thank you that he is the one who is perfect in his character, holy, innocent, blameless. Thank you, Lord, that he is perfect in his completed work. He has paid that price once for all. I praise you that he's perfect in his location. He's there at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. And Father, isn't it amazing how Paul speaks about how when we know Christ and are saved in Christ. We are seated with Christ, even now, in the heavenly realms. And when we pray, when we praise, we are joining with the Jesus of heaven. Our prayers, our praise enters the very throne room itself, where our great high priest is. Oh, Father, why would we be tempted by the things of this world? When we have such a savior, such a king, who is able to give joy that's in unspeakable and a peace that passes all understanding. For such grace we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.